Hi, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas that you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU chief of staff. And we're excited today to introduce our guests for the show, Don Bramer. Don serves as the chairman of Bramer Group, a company that assists clients in framing and presenting their issues and concerns to Congress and federal agencies. Don is a former intelligence officer, served as an appointee under the administration of President George H.W. Bush. He's a veteran of both combat and Capitol Hill, having served the offices and campaigns of U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell at both state and national levels. So, so good to have you with us. Hey, thank you very much. And so glad to spend part of my afternoon with you today. Well, thank you. Now, now the Bramer Group is a firm that utilizes relationships fostered uh, within Congress and, and, and the executive branch to assist U.S. and foreign companies, organizations, and governments. What motivated you to uh, establish the firm and, and uh, your passion uh, in this? You know, one of the things that when I brought together the, the team that uh, became the, the foundation or the DNA of Bramer Group is the original three founders were all combat veterans. And we, having all served abroad, uh, had seen what a lot of our men and women in uniform weren't getting when they were downrange, where there were lapse in training, lapse in funding, and, and lapse in equipment. And, and then coming from Kentucky uh, and working on the campaigns, I had experienced firsthand what it was like for factories uh, and companies to leave the states to to move abroad, and for people to lose their jobs and, and the effects it had on on their families. So I took the two lessons that I learned from from working campaigns and and being in the military, and figured out that one thing that I wanted to do was to bring jobs back to the United States, but also at the same time make sure that our men and women never had a opportunity to be in a fair fight, but have everything they needed to win the fight. Right. right. Oh, that's right. so good. Yeah. And so what, talk, talk to us a little bit about what were some of these issues specifically, you know, you talk about men and women being downrange, they're in this combat situation. What were some of those first issues where you said, hey, we need, we need some extra help here? You know, one of the first things is broken equipment or, you know, for folks who were in the early days of the Iraq war, you know, you'll see a lot of pictures of them in the turret actually manning you know, a 50 cal or a, or a, a 230 gulp where they were fully exposed. And, you know, in a lot, in a lot of times they became the, the, the first fodder for a sniper. Mm. And, and also having that exposed, uh, that open space from a Humvee to, to the open air when there would be uh, an IED or a V-bit that, you know, they would be suffered a traumatic brain injury just because of the blast itself. So our very first uh, effort that we started working on was what they call today CROWS, the Common Remote Operating Weapon System, which actually was a remote turret that replaced the the 50 cal and the 230 go, sealed up the Humvee or, or vehicle so that the entire crew could be safe if there's a blast, but also not exposed to sniper fire. Yeah, love it, love it. And so, what did it take to get that kind of action across the board? What does it take to take to get the government to change to recognize and see a problem? Where, walk us through some of the processes you guys so used to make. One of the things that you'll see early on is what they call an UNS, and an UNS is what the military calls an urgent need statement, and that's when you get a a, a general to do a request to to Congress that here's a need 
uh, and we need to fix this need as fast as possible. We had uh, the client that we were working with that we're still working with today uh, that supplied that system. They had it, it was a test case back then, and now we're looking at more than 20,000 uh, systems later uh, abroad in every branch of the military as well as other agencies and also many of our allies. Uh, you uh, um, it, it, talk to me a little bit. Does Congress have to authorize all of that, or can some of that action actually be a presidential uh, edict or order, or 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 the um, Joint Chiefs can can authorize? I mean, how does that? Is it always Congress that authorizes? So, if in the case of an ONS, they if there is funds available, what they call unfunded priorities, then. It can if it's a short term, but once it becomes a program or record, then it has to be funds okay. that are authorized by Congress. So it, would, it would get a program started, uh, but not necessarily wouldn't keep it. It has to become you know, uh, tested, certified, and then it would have to be requested in the following year of the president's budget or then put in the what they call the, the NDA which is the National Defense Authorization Act, and then funded through appropriations. Yeah. When you look at, at what you, you, you uh, set to, to work out what what would you advise leaders who want to get changes across the finish line based on your experience what what's some good approaches to to make those kinds of things happen i think the most important thing you can do with with any legislative initiative is, is to build uh build your network to have as many stakeholders as you can yeah you know there, there is power in numbers and in one of the cases and i'll use you a really good example the manufacturer who does one of our weapon systems that we represent, we've now helped them to establish a supply chain that touches uh, 23 states, 26 congressional districts. So mm. every one of those weapon systems touches 3,200 U.S. jobs. Wow. We multiply that. The average family is is about four people across U.S. So there, take that number. There's you know 3,200 times four. That's yeah. a lot of votes. It's a lot of voices. And once or twice a year in a non-COVID scenario, we'll invite representatives not from just our client, but also their supplier base to Washington and let them advocate themselves, give them the story, give them the pitch. We actually will kind of give them a day of coaching. Yeah. And then we, start, we turn them loose on the hill and, and let them actually go out, meet with their members, explain why this program is important. Not only is it important for our men and women who serve abroad so that they have the best equipment, but it's important for their their community and you know and the jobs that it creates. And even when you look at the, the first degree of supplier base to the second degree all the way down, you know, those the number of jobs and the number of families that each one of those systems touches is immense. And that's what it takes, letting them know that this is important for not just you know, the Pentagon, but it's important at home, too. Right. Yeah. Now, you've worked at the state and national levels of several key presidential and congressional campaigns. You've continued to actively uh, be engaged in the political process. Balancing your personal life and life in the political eye can be can be difficult, and and there's a lot to it. But how do you balance your your personal life with, while building the networks and these relationships you need to accomplish these kinds of goals? You know, you always have to take time for yourself, and you have to find your what is your escape. Uh, mm -hmm. Finding balance is, is important because if you don't have a strong balance, then then you're just going to get sucked into it. Yeah. Um, Finding what you know, what you do, and, and setting guidelines for yourself and sticking to them. You know, in my case, you know, I have things every do every day that I do to start my day. Whether it's 
you know, I will read, you know, make myself read at least 10 pages or I'm an active writer. So I get up and, and write a journal, uh, my thoughts and it helps you process what you're going to do each day. I'm, I'm keen on lists. I think, um, making a plan, whether it's a list or, or setting your course for the day is important. Um, and it also gives you a sense of accomplishment. At the end of the day, when you can know that, okay, here's my list. I've checked everything off. Uh, you know, it's a small thing, but it actually, every accomplishment is a good accomplishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Love so it. Good. And with your role, you know, specifically, there's so much that you do that that can end up in the public sphere. You People can see, see what you're doing. So how do you balance um, that criticism, right? How do you balance that fact that like, hey, this is what I know we need to do, even if maybe some pundit somewhere doesn't really understand what we're trying to get done. How do you keep your, how do you keep yourself mo- motivated to keep moving in the direction when all that comes? <laughs> Kind of funny when I first started doing uh, the commenting and the contributing on the air, uh, you know, you start getting hit up on on Twitter, right? And, yep. and you know, the first couple of days, I was like, you know, you know, I, you, you take it personal, and then I finally get to the point, you know, my uh, the folks that do my booking, they're like, don't read your tweets, they're like, just don't <laughs> read them. don't respond to them. Um, I think my parents take the criticism more than I do. Yeah. Um, you know, if they see something. Uh, that somebody has said they'll get they get really upset about it and I just, I said, don't respond please don't feed into it so i i think they they take it harder than i do mm-hmm. yeah and, and you realize wow the, it's just part of the landscape that's just it's just the way it is and you just and, you, you know, but, yeah so i've accepted the ideal that whether it's good or bad if they're talking about me well that's that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> exactly for sure I want to focus uh, a little bit on your military service. After 9-11, you, you left the political arena and enlisted in the U.S. Navy. Uh, and, and over the years, you were called up for multiple deployments and at one point operated throughout Iraq as an intelligence officer and senior interrogator. Tell us uh, about that specific experience and how that actually changed your life. You know, I, I tell a lot of people that I wouldn't be sitting here today in the position that I'm in. Uh, had it not been for 9-11. Uh, the, the chart or the course that I had planned for my life uh, is completely different than, than what I thought. Going to Iraq and also you know, going through the training process to become an intelligence officer um, was pretty intense. And you know, it, it tested your, uh, your moral fiber. Uh, I always tell everybody, you know, a few times I thought my moral compass was broke. Because growing up in a conservative uh, Christian household, you know, we take the, the teachings very close. But to do intel, uh, especially in a human side, you have to you have to challenge that. And so I think it did change me. Um, but I also had the, the benefit to work side by side, especially in the special the special forces community, the SEAL community, of some of the most talented. Uh, and, and gifted war fighters that have ever been created on this earth. And, and they are the tip of the spear and, and truly phenomenal. Uh, many of them are my, my dear friends to this day. And, and I know that we, we did a lot of good. And, yeah. you know, one of the reasons that, you know, we've not seen large scale terror attacks in this country is because of the good that we were doing and the, and the good that everyone who serves in uniform or serves this country, even out of uniform, uh, it takes everyone to do this, and we everyone that puts on that uniform or raises their right hand to this country, even when you question some of the decisions of our, our politicians, should be proud of the job that they do. Right. And, and so what, you know, I uh, I left the Navy after 18 years of both active and reserves, and, and thought I was done. And 
But, you know, this past August, uh, took on a whim, you know, have now rejoined the Kentucky National Guard uh, as an intelligence officer again. Wow. That's great. You know, today, I mean, that 9-11, significant event in our history. And then today, the day that we're making this taping, the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, you look at these significant moments in our history. What are those moments? What do they teach us about what we need to do and be prepared as we move forward in a conflicted world? Um, it should speak volumes to us. And what are some of those important lessons? You know, the, the biggest thing I, I tell everybody, you know, people want to talk about 9-11 and they want to talk about December 7th. I always tell everyone, you know, let's focus on December 8th. Let's focus on the 12th of September. Mm. Because to me, those are the two days that showed what the fiber of this country is about. Yeah. You know, for those, you know, I wish we could go back to the day after 9-11. You know, yes, there was a lot of grief. There was a lot of horror. But we put all of our politics aside and actually took time to embrace our neighbor, to, to be proud of the country that we live in. And, you know, sometimes I wish people would just remember that yeah. and, and forget about all this infighting, uh, trying to focus on, you know, how to how to have the best tweet or the best soundbite. Yeah. Uh, and remember that when we come together as Americans, um, we're damn strong and, yeah. and we need we need to be that way again because you know as our as our motto says you know uh you know to get, together we stand divided we fall and when we're divided in a, in a nature that we are sometimes all that does is create an opportunity for our adversaries yeah and, and i wish people would realize that yeah. yeah and when you think about it you know when you're in uniform no one cares what political party you're affiliated to no one cares about your background. No one cares about your, you know, whatever, whatever, all the different things that we've used to, to divide us over the years. Can you talk a little bit about why, you know, the, the service, military service and, and the mindset that comes from that is so important for our country and why it's something that, you know, maybe if, even if you've never served before, something we should appreciate as Americans? You know, the one thing about being in uniform is we all bleed the same color hmm. and it doesn't matter your religion, your your color, your gender, your orientation, whether you're you're rich or, or poor or whatever. But when you're in the fight and you know that that person to your left and that person to your right has your back, hmm. that's what makes you strong because you realize that you're in this together and there is something that you're fighting for, something you're serving that is bigger than yourself. Um, one of the things that most people don't notice or take for granted is when you see a service member in uniform, you know, they'll have their name tape with their last name and it'll be on their right on their their right side. But the branch, whether it's U.S. Navy, U.S. Army, whatever, is always on the left side, because that's because the closest thing to your heart is the service that you represent, not yeah. not your not your individuality, but the service that is this United States. That's what's closest to your heart. Wow. It's so wow. powerful. And, you know, today you serve as an advisory council member for the uh, U.S. Veterans Initiative for Homeless Veterans and on the advisory council as a member of the Veterans Campaign. And you can sit, continue to serve our nation in various ways. You've, you're publishing a lot of articles. You write a lot about specifically the problem of homelessness among veterans. And with these committees, you're doing a lot of work to help kind of address the needs. Can you talk a little bit about the needs of this community specifically in America and how can we be um, supportive of helping our homeless veterans? We know this is a crucial time for a lot of veterans, especially with with COVID and the, and the pandemic, 
because people have never been more isolated uh, in, in our lifetime. And, and with isolation uh, comes a lot of spiral effect of people going downhill fast because you, you've taken away their network, or, or I call it your tribe. Uh, people who have come home and they're either detached from their families or they have mental health issues, uh, they rely on those programs uh, to survive. And when you take that away and you make people lock themselves up to stay away, that's when people deteriorate really fast. Veterans are, are younger people who think they can fix themselves. They think they can, they can go home, they can lock the doors, shut the windows, and, and heal themselves. And oftentimes, more often than not, that turns into a, a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the veteran programs that are out there today, you know, because they can't socialize, they can't hold their their events. Their their funding is is really drawn up, drawn up, and they need it now more than ever because those programs are crucial. Whether it's you know a softball game or mm -hmm. a, a network event or even just building community. Um, it's so important because a lot of times, you know, those small groups and those small acts of kindness save a life. And, you know, um, you know it, you know, just this past weekend, you know, I, I had a, a dear friend, um, we nearly lost and nearly became one of those statistics because the holidays and all the things that go along with the holidays had started to set in. And, and the holidays are really hard for a lot of the veteran community. Uh, because they start reflecting too much and then they they start to question their own self-worth. So, you know, I, I tell everybody the biggest thing you can do each day, uh, it's not just a veteran, but to anyone, is, is just be kind. Um, you will need it now more than ever. Yeah, it's great, great wisdom. Uh, and we're so grateful for your, our conversation. We want to be respectful of your time. Uh, so we're going to move into our fire round and just ask you a few questions surrounding kind of everything we've discussed. And 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 again, just kind of answer with your your gut. We want to grab some few practical and applicable pieces of advice from from you uh, for our our uh, listeners. So uh, I think we got about three questions. So Michael, if you want to, start. yeah, start us off. So what would be the first piece of advice you would give? to someone who wants to um, like start a campaign or enter that world of politics? Uh, the, the first thing I would say when you want to start a campaign is to uh, go through your phone list and your phone because that's going to be your first donor base. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone that you're going to ask for for money, they're all in your directory right now. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask because campaigns are expensive. Um, and if you're, if you're shy about that, then, and you're shy about asking your friends, then you won't be able to ask your friends or family, but also be sincere. You know, one of the things that I, I still do to this day that, that I learned early on in, in my days with Senator McConnell is take the time to write a personal note. You know, mm -hmm. emails are meaningless. I, I go through a ton of stationery and I believe that a handwritten note, uh, is the best gesture that, that you can still do to this day, um, so much that in the, the last week, even as much as our firm has grown, um, I hand signed 500 Christmas cards, not with a signature, but a note and a signature that went out to everyone. Wow, that's great. Uh, how can young leaders uh, be disciplined in their careers? You know, the biggest thing I think young leaders need today is find a mentor. Yeah, find a mentor that's good. And, and, and stick to it. You know, my mentor... Uh, that was my mentor 30 years ago is still my mentor to this day. Mm -hmm. We still talk once or twice a week um, because I can't learn everything. Yeah. And, and he always told me, you know, to, to pay it forward. And I have the pleasure and the honor of, 
you know, not only the, the intern program we have at Bram Group where we bring in uh, two to three interns a semester, but I have several young men and women that, that I mentor on a constant basis, and, and I'm extremely proud of them. And I'm proud of what they've become because I've seen several of the folks that I've mentored who are now doing amazing things um, and they're, you know, they're vice presidents of companies or they're writers or they're lawyers. And just to know that I had a small part of that is incredible. Um, I always tell people, decide what you want to be in life, find the people that are doing that and become their friends. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that's how you'll build a great mentor. Love it. Love it. Last question to close this out today. What uh, what advice would you give to um, maybe servicemen and women who are preparing to come off the field for the first time, make that transition back into civilian life? What would you advise them to be thinking about doing? I think the same thing that I, that I just said. Find find that mentor. You know, when you uh, join the military, they give you what they call sponsor. Mm. And that's the person that helps indoctrinate you uh, from civilian life to the military. When you move to a new base, they, they give you a sponsor. That's the person that helps show you around the new command and make sure you find everything. It's no different. You know, yeah. we can do this alone. And, and I think the hardest thing that people want to accept is they, especially, you know, a lot of the men, it's, you know, there's something wrong with asking for help. Uh, there's absolutely not, you know, uh, having a good sponsor or a good mentor uh, when you come off is good. I get a lot of people who are transitioning who will find me on LinkedIn and, you know, ask like, uh, you want to have a coffee mm. and there's absolutely, that's what you should do. You know, if, if you're wanting to get out of the military and you're wanting to go into a specific area, you know, find those people, find them on LinkedIn. Everyone, if you look nowadays, we're all connected, you know, two to three links away. And if you don't know someone, but you see an ally or a friend of yours is ask them like, Hey, will you do an introduction? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the, the resources now are, are so incredible that it's it's easy to find people to connect with you. And I I can't think of anybody that would ever say no if you ask them, if you like to have a cup of coffee and just pick their brain. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Don, for first of all, for your service to our nation. We are grateful and we honor you for that and uh, grateful that you continue to serve our nation in a variety of ways to make it uh, stronger and, and a better place. Just want to thank you again for joining us today on Framework Leadership Podcast. Uh, always grateful for insight and encouragement and wisdom and advice. And you've given us plenty of that today. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed spending time with both you gentlemen today. Thank love you. it. Love it. And if you want to stay up to date with Don, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Donald R. Bramer. Did I get that right? Donald R. Bramer? It's you got perfect. it right. Awesome. And if you are watching us on YouTube right now, you like this content, you want more leadership to help grow you, get your leadership to the next level, go ahead and hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can also check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Ingle or Twitter at Kent Ingle. And if you want more leadership content right to your inbox every single week, visit our website, KentIngle.com. Subscribed to the newsletter so you can get it every single Friday morning if you wanted to know when it comes out. It's right there for you. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody. Take care.